Well, that character there, he, he was obviously lost at sea and isolated from people. And, you know, all that he had was his volleyball that washed ashore Wilson, the brand of the volleyball. And um, he lost Wilson there. Wilson meant a lot to him, obviously. He was, he was lost. And we've been looking, we're in this message series right now called Lost, and we've been looking at how in a lot of different ways, on a variety of different levels, in life we can just feel lost. And for me, it's not that I don't have people around me. I mean, it's not for lack of access to people. I have my family, my wife, my kids, but, you know, I have friends, and if I want to be around more people, I can go and I can sit in traffic, or I can go to the mall, and I could just... So it's not for the lack of access to people, but sometimes in my life, I can even feel kind of isolated and, and somewhat too, too busy and feel a little lost in relationships. And for you, the lostness maybe that you experience may be somewhat different. It might have a different set of sources. But I can guarantee that everyone in this room faces this feeling of lostness at times. We go through this, and different questions come up in our head. And this isn't something new. We've been looking at how God, He spoke to, you know, He answered some questions for His people, the people of Israel, who were wandering around lost in the wilderness for 40 years. And in the midst of their wandering, God gives them the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses and the laws is in there. And they receive God's answers for life. Some of the questions that they had, God spoke to them and helped them understand that they weren't as lost as they seemed and as they felt. Some of the questions that we looked at so far is, two weeks ago we looked at the question of how did I wind up here? On earth, And we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and how it says God, we're here because God was here first. And he created everything to bring him glory. And we looked at how he is the focus of reality, not us. Last week we looked at a question, why do I matter? Why do I matter? Just how we wrestle with significance in life and we do things in order to try to earn approval from others. Or we do things in order to try to seek, seek more uh, purpose, try to gain more significance. And God... We learned last week that he created us in his image. We bear his image. And that in and of itself is enough for our significance. That gives us purpose right there. And this week we're looking at a new question, which is this. What do I do now? We're kind of just walking this through in Genesis, the beginning, the first few chapters of Genesis. And so, you know, the people of Israel who received this, they they knew... God was here first. He created everything that they see. He's the reason we're here. Then he created man to relate to him, to worship him. But then there's this question that comes up in our head, what do I do now? And God, in Genesis chapter 2, begins to answer this question about what we are to do now. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. You can follow along up here on the screens, or if you'd like, you can... Uh, follow along on the listening guide that you should have in your in your handout, and let's let's look at this together. I'm going to read this. It's Genesis chapter two. Just before this verse, uh, verse seven. We don't have it up here on the screen. Verse seven is where God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, and it says that He breathed into his nostrils and gave him the breath of life. He breathed. 
the breath of life into him, and Adam became a living being. And then you get this verse, verse 8, and it says this. 2.8 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man that he'd formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's, he's put Adam, the first man, which the, Adam in Hebrew is Adam. It, it means humanity or man. He puts Adam in this place called Eden. And Eden could be translated as pleasure. The word Eden, it seems to speak of paradise. A really uh, pleasing place. So here's Adam in this amazing paradise that God had created and placed him in. And it's, it's important for us to understand the significance of the Garden of Eden, this place where God had placed them. This is where God's presence dwelled among, among his creation, mankind. And it was, it, was, it was where he related to his creation. Genesis chapter 3 talks about how God was walking in the garden. And Adam and Eve heard, heard the sound of the Lord walking with them in the garden. Well, God's created us. He's created people to know him, to relate to him, and to worship him. And throughout the rest of the scriptures, um, this imagery of the Garden of Eden kind of crops up, reminding us of this paradise, of this place where we related to God from the beginning. This paradise, Eden. Um, one of the kings of Israel named Solomon, he builds a temple. And as he builds this temple, this is much later, okay? But as he builds the temple... There are certain things about Solomon's temple that reflected the Garden of Eden, this, this place where they could connect with God. And so there was palm trees, there was different exotic flowers and plants that were as you would enter into the temple, and it kind of resembled this place, the Garden of Eden. Um, there was, before that, the tabernacle was another place where God would um, dwell or with his people, and there was a Garden of Eden sense about descriptions of the tabernacle. And even just references to heaven. You look at the end of the Bible and read a little bit about heaven, you find out that this, this kind of imagery crops up that, that you find in the Garden of Eden. So this place was kind of like the perfect place to be. It was like the dream destination. And Adam was responsible for it. Look at, um, we're not going to look at verses 10 through 14, but in, in those verses what you see is just a description of that setting of the Garden of Eden, where it's located, how there's a, a river that runs through it, and that would, or a stream that runs through it, and it would flow into different rivers. And he just describes in those verses where um, those rivers would flow into larger bodies of water. And then you get to verses 15 through 17, it says this. It says, So the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in this garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So again, Adam gets there. He's in the garden. And God gives him his job description. It's helpful if you have a job to know what you're um, required to do. And so God tells him, this is what I want you to do. You're to work it and you're to take care of it. In other words, you're to attend to it and you're to guard it or to keep watch over it. The Garden of Eden, at this point, you know, there wasn't any problems in the Garden of Eden. You know, if I were responsible for a garden in Riverside, you know, I'd be pulling weeds, I'd be, 
you know, trimming hedges, mowing lawns. But in this setting, this, this was before weeds were sprouted up. There was no weeds or thorns or thistles, and, and everything was green and things were great. And so Adam's role was very much like a caretaker, a supervisor in a sense, over God's creation. And then God says, I'm going to give you some boundaries. You don't want to bust through these boundaries. And he says, here's the boundaries. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you can enjoy the rest of the plants and the trees and the fruit that you'll find in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do that, you will surely die. So he had some privileges. And I remember when I was in college, um, for a season I had access to a master key to the campus of Cal Baptist. And it was a, it was a master key, so it could get into any room on the campus. And uh, I remember um, just being able to get a hold of that key. And, you know, if ever I left my keys, we could get into my room or get into friend's room. Pranks on friends was a little easier having a master key. But, you know, you, whoever had their hands on the master key needed to be a trustworthy individual. And fallen into the wrong hands, that kind of privilege could have been, you know, disastrous for people. Of course, me and my friends, we stayed out of trouble for the most part. And, uh, but here's Adam. He's got access. He's got paradise at his disposal. And everything he saw was pleasing to him. But there's these boundaries that he really shouldn't be busting through. They're set up for his protection. And this is just a subtle reminder that God, he gives us a, a, a sense of freedom to live and to relate to him and to exercise our own will. We can make choices. He sets boundaries around us. We can choose to stay within those boundaries or we can bust through and pay the price for that. God, he gives us that freedom. And, and Adam, he had that very same freedom in that experience. There's this line in Spider-Man. You may remember this in the Spider-Man movies where Spider-Man's, well, Peter Parker's, I guess it would be his uncle, tells him, you know, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Yeah. You know, that's... That's very true. God always keeps these things in balance of privilege, accountability, and responsibility. You'll never find privilege, accountability, and responsibility getting out of whack in your life. The privileges you have, if you decide to take advantage of the privileges, then you'll be held accountable at that level. And you'll have to take responsibility for it. These things have to stay in balance. And this is what Adam experienced. He was going to be held accountable for his actions. So here he is, the perfect man in the perfect place with these boundaries, but still with the ability to really enjoy God's creation. This was really the ultimate life. And then something changed. If you look at the next verse, look at verse 18 with me. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is a profound verse. When you think about this verse in the context of the first chapter of Genesis, what we looked at a couple weeks ago, as God is creating different things, six different times he says, it's good. You know, he made this and he said, and it was good. He made another thing and it was good. At the end of each day, he, he declared his, his creation, his work was good. He creates the oceans. It's all good. And then he gets to mankind and he talks about Adam, and he, he, he says, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam. Think about what that means. 
He's in paradise. He has no mortgage, no bills, there's no smog, no traffic, no employers to report to, no one looking over his shoulder. And then all of a sudden, God says, you know, you're incomplete. He realizes there was something else that was lacking in Adam's life. He needed something. He was alone. Scripture just says, you know, it's not good for us to be alone. That, that word alone, it just implies separation. Separation. When it comes up in the Bible, it implies how there's a part of a body that's not connected to the body. Or there's something connected to a tree, like a branch that had broken off a tree. It was separated. It was alone. So the idea there is that it, it should have been a part of something larger. It's a, it's a part of a larger unit. And he says, man on his own is not right. And what God's saying is this. He's, he's saying, I've created you to be in community, to be connected. If you want to, you know, if you're following along, we were created to be in community. You and I were never intended to live our lives in isolation. We weren't created to do life alone, on our own, in solitude. And you saw what happened in that video clip where, you know, he, he had a sense of companionship in this little ball, Wilson. And when it was gone, you know, he was so alone and so lost. But whether you're single or whether you're married, you were created to be in community with others. We need people around us all our lives. That's really the point of what I'm wanting to draw out of this today. Look at how the verse continues. In the same verse, verse 18, he says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. The word helper in Hebrew is ezer. And it basically just means support or aid or help. So someone to come alongside and assist Adam in his, in his life as he's going about life God knew he needed someone to come alongside him for support. And as this word, as there, shows up in other places in the Old Testament, it's interesting that the same idea shows up. Um, there is three different characters that have this root word, as there, in their name. There's a guy named Azariah. And Azariah was one of the three godly friends of Daniel. Daniel was a guy who was, uh, he was willing to stand up for what he believed in. And because of it, at different times, he was thrown in some very difficult circumstances. In one of those situations, he was thrown in to a fiery furnace, a lion's den. On one of those occasions, he had three friends with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard of those people. Well, Abednego was a, a Babylonian name for a guy named Azariah, who was renamed as he was deported to a different land. Well, Azariah, he was like a help helper to Daniel. He stood beside him. He supported him. He, he didn't just let Daniel do things on his own. He was connected in that way. Another guy named Ezra. You hear the word Ezra in there as well. Ezra means the Lord helps. And Ezra was a priest who came alongside a guy named Nehemiah who was rebuilding the wall around Ju Jerusalem. And it was a time where people were really discouraged. And so as there was a lot of discouragement for Nehemiah, it was hard to stay on track and to stay focused. So to have a guy named Ezra come alongside and to redirect people's attention towards God, as a priest would do, was really, really helpful. Another guy that 
bears this name, Azar, is Azareel. This was a guy that fought alongside Dan, uh, David, King David, in a battle. But every time where this word shows up, it's, it's this idea of companionship. The idea that these people would come alongside so that someone wouldn't have to do life alone. And this is the purpose of why God created, this is one of the purposes at least, of why God created Eve, was so that Adam didn't have to do life on his own, alone. In in the same way, if we are isolated, if we're not in meaningful relationships with other people who are headed in the same direction, in the right direction, then we tend to, because of our isolation, we tend to suffer some natural consequences in life. And there's four that I wanted to point out. Things that you may experience if you find yourself in isolation. Uh, the first one is you lose perspective. When we're isolated from people, when we pull back and withdraw, not just individually, but maybe it's your family. You just isolate your family from other people who's who could be supporting you, who could be helping you, encouraging you, when you do that, you tend to lose perspective. What happens is your lows tend to be a lot lower, your highs tend to be a lot higher. You just kind of lose your grip on seeing reality in the right way. Problems that you face in isolation, they appear different than when you're connected to other people. Spiritually, you may lose perspective as well. If you if you are a newer Christian, if, if you've just recently come to the point where you've decided to follow Christ, one of the things that may happen is if you isolate yourself from people, and it keeps you from growing, it keeps you from really being effective in life, um, that's a bad thing. And God's enemy, Satan, the devil, who's a very real spirit, who's working to take down Christians, who, who, who wants nothing more than to get you off track and derail you from walking with God, Well, what Satan does, he knows that if he can just isolate Christians, if he can isolate followers of Christ, then he'll keep them from being effective in life. If he can convince you that you can't really trust anyone, that people are not trustworthy, so I'm just going to stay isolated, then he's won. He keeps you from really growing. He keeps you from being able to be stimulated in right relationships with people. And, you know, the devil, he knows this, that... Sheep are never attacked in herds. Sheep are only attacked when they become isolated from the rest of the flock. That's why the, the picture of in the Bible it comes up, you know, the picture of the sheep watching over or the shepherd watching over his sheep, you know, the one that strays off. That one he's unprotected. So again, we lose perspective when we're isolated. Another thing is when we're isolated, we have this fear of intimacy. If you've never had close friendships with others, um, then you tend to um, be afraid or fearful of what that kind of relationship would, would look like. What it would be like if you actually let people come up close to you. People who fear intimacy think that if others really get to know them, maybe they won't like, maybe they won't like me. If I let people in, what if, they, what if I'm rejected? And it's just, it, it keeps, that fear keeps you from possibly breaking through and, and relating to people. It just seems safer to stay at a distance. So again, I would, I'd encourage you, don't let that keep you back from relating to people in a healthy way. Another thing that we experience when we are isolated is selfishness. Selfishness. Disconnected people tend to be much more selfish. 
if the sum total of a person's life is, you know, defined by his schedule, his agenda, his needs, his desires, chances are that that person is suffering from a good dose of selfishness. You know, when we're isolated, it's just so easy to get focused on myself. At least I know that that's the case for me. I just get very, very self-focused when I pull back from people. So we have to stay in relationships. We have to stay involved in people's lives in community with others. And the last thing is this, poor health. It's interesting. You can look at this online. Type in um, homelessness and just look at the way that health declines when people are isolated from society. But I'm not, I don't want you just to think of, okay, I don't want to be homeless then. It's really if you isolate yourself from people, you, you may suffer health-wise. People who live life alone are at a much greater risk of sickness and poor health than people who are connected. As we relate to people, it just it, it lifts our spirit. It lifts us up on the inside. Things just go better for us. It's because we were created for relationships. We were created for this. We were created to be in each other's lives. Living life alone does not accurately reflect the image of, of God. You know, we bear the image of God. When we pull back, it doesn't reflect his image well. Let's let's see, it goes on verse 19 and 20. It just says in these next two verses, which we're not going to read, that that God brought all the animals to Adam. The birds, the sky. I don't know how God pulled off getting all the birds to come down to Adam, but he's God, so he did it, you know. That was funny to me. But, uh, but he did this. He pulls, he pulls them all to Adam. And God says, it's your responsibility to name the animals. And so he begins to name the animals. And as he's naming the animal, surely Adam recognized that he was not, he didn't have a partner. He was alone. You know, he saw each animal and he saw their counterparts. He says, this is a, uh, a lion. And this is a, uh, a tiger. You know, it's a, a man and a woman of the same kind. Okay, and he gets to this one. This is a man-dog, and this is a she-dog, and they go together. And this is a, a monkey and a shunky, or I don't know what the... Just, whatever, you know, whatever he decides to, to call. But he recognizes that there's these different kinds of species with their, with their counterparts. And then he's probably thinking to himself, a shunky, yes. He's probably thinking to himself, where's mine? Where is my partner? Who do I belong to? Who do I fit with? So let's just wrap up by looking at this. Verses 21 through 23. It says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. So then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. For she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And it's interesting that I want to focus in on the last verse. Verse 23 says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. We can just read through this and really miss the exclamation points that are implied in this verse. Adam gets a little sensitive here and he, he busts out into poetry this is the first occasion in the Bible where, where poetry comes up. Because he, he realized there was something new in the garden. And he really liked it. 
it met a real need. This is the first place where he where this comes up to Adam. He realized this is this is unique. She is she's like me, but she's unique and she's also different. But she's of the same kind. You know, he says she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Or in other words, she's of the same substance, the same body type as mine. And I think the primary issue here is not just sexual attraction, but it's friendship and community. It's somebody to do life with. So again, whether you're single or married, God has created you to do life with others. In college, before, before I was married, I had, I had some friendships that provided a real support to, to me in my life. People came alongside me and really helped me grow and get to know God and just shared life with me. And that really, that made a real impression on my life, just the way that people took the time to do that, to where I wanted to do that with other people. I wanted my life to be about coming alongside people and encouraging them to, to walk on with God. And then I met my wife, and <clears throat> as I got to know my wife, at that time I realized she was doing the same thing. She had people that came alongside her, encouraged her, and then she had a real desire. And as we married, that was something that was really important to us, to, to, to learn how to relate to others in a way that was really healthy, but also to have community, to, to, to make relationships a big part of our life. And we wanted to learn from a church that did that well. And so we found a church that that, that was one of the things that they were known for, was helping people connect in community and, and really share life in a healthy way. And we wanted to get training from them. And, and at the right time, when God said, go and start a new church, as we were starting OCC, this was one of the things that we really wanted to um, build it around was we wanted to the mission of Christ is to make disciples and we wanted to do that in a in a setting where people desired or wanted to connect with each other or at least there was the opportunity to connect with people in smaller groups to where you didn't have to do life alone church we didn't want church to just be about Sunday morning experience where you just come and worship and learn and that's it and you relate to a bunch of different people in a bunch of different places but we wanted to help people connect in a meaningful way in community. And that's really our hope. Our hope for you is that you would find relationships and friendships within the body of Christ here at OCC, who, people who would encourage you, people who would come alongside you and pray for you, walk with you through the ups and the downs of life. That's really a big, big part of why God created you. And that's why we're a church that's organized around small groups I uh, wanted to draw your attention to this, and then we're going to wrap up and pray. This is a, a little green flyer that talks about our small groups here at OCC. There's a few questions at the top. You can read through those in a minute. Just answer some basic facts. But I wanted to briefly tell you about our three um, groups. We're going to be doing something a little different. In the past, all we had was community groups, and you'll see that kind of in the middle. Community groups are small groups of 12 to 18 people, which exist to help adults connect with others at OCC and to find encouragement from God's Word and each other to take their next steps in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. This is our hope for our community groups. We have had um, five community groups, I think, last round. And so we're, the one thing we're changing up this round is um, we are having one community group that is going to be a couples, a married couples-only group 
and then the other community groups will be mixed. So it will be um, people can be married, uh, engaged, single, uh, students. You can be at different stages of life. You can be different ages. We want the groups to be um, mixed. There's a good thing when you connect with people who are not um, in the same stage of life. You can learn a lot. You can grow a lot in that kind of setting. So we're going to have those two different kinds of community groups. Um, We'll also be doing something called life groups. Life groups is, I'll just read it, meeting in a central location only once a month. These will be open to all adults from OCC. They will begin with a large group teaching time, like a 40-minute teaching time, somewhat like a setting like this where either me or someone will be instructing on something from the scriptures on, you know, how to walk with God in wisdom. And then we'll break down for small group discussions. So after a time of teaching, we'll break up and discuss what was taught on. Um, those will be real practical topics that will be hopefully real easy to apply to the different areas of your life. What we're hoping with this is that this would just give you an opportunity to connect in small groups in a low commitment way. If you just can't commit to a, a weekly community group, then this would be a good option for you just once in a while. And this would really allow you to begin to build relationships with others from OCC. The last group is a discipleship group. Um, these are small groups, much smaller, three to six people, which meet weekly with a major emphasis. This is uh, men's groups and women's discipleship groups. Major emphasis on learning how to walk with God personally. Focusing on spiritual development, things like daily quiet time, spending time with God, prayer, uh, scripture memory, and then character development, value shaping. And there is a requirement on this one. You have to have been through at least one round of, with a community group, and you need to be working on the process of becoming a church member. And there's a reason for that. We'll have um, a kickoff meeting, and if you're just interested in learning about any of these, if you would just check, you know, express your interest by checking it, tearing it at that line and dropping it in the offering in just a few moments when it comes around, that's going to really help us know um, how many groups we need to have for this round. Groups usually go from, like, February till about middle of June, and then we break for the summer and start groups up again in the fall. So you, it's, anyway, said enough about groups. Um, I'll say one more thing about these. If, uh, if you've been in a discipleship group, if you've been, you feel like you've gotten some formal discipleship, these will probably touch on things you've probably never been exposed to as well. And so you probably get some things that you've heard and learned about, but this, you can almost guarantee, will be some brand new stuff as well. So 